You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. All right, so today we are going to be uh, continuing in the book of Acts as we have been doing for, for a few weeks. So today we're going to do part number two of Acts 2, 14 to 41, which is Peter's sermon after Pentecost. And we're not going to read the whole text uh, this time. It's a pretty long text. So I will be just quoting every part as I, as I follow on the, on the sermon. Now, the first thing we're going to do is we're, we're going to review quickly from chapter 1 up to here. So we start the book of Acts, chapter 1, when Jesus comes back from the death. He spends 40 days with his disciples uh, and uh, other people, a total of 120 people. And he talks to them about the kingdom of God. And then he tells them, go and wait in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. That was what the Father told him to do or to tell us. Uh, and then he he ascends. He leaves his disciples. He goes to the heavens. And then the disciples obey. They go back to Jerusalem. This is all happening after the Passover. And if you know, the Passover is the, the, one of the biggest Jewish uh, festivals. And it's, it's happening right after that. Uh, remember, Jesus was killed uh, during Passover. He resurrects on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. And then he comes back three days later to life. And after he comes back, he starts, the, this 40-day period begins. Then those 40-day period begin, and then uh, Jesus ascends after the day 40. And then a week later, the disciples are in Jerusalem, and then another festival happens, which is the festival of Pentecost, or Shavuot, which is the festival of the harvest. And that's when they're together in Jerusalem, and the, the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples. And this is what happened. They, they saw something that looked like flames or the Bible says tongues of fire upon them. And they started speaking languages that they didn't understand. But other people understood them. And this is where we take our story. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stands up and starts to talk or preaches what is considered the first Christian sermon to a huge crowd. We don't really know how many people uh, were listening to, to Peter. But at the end of this, you will see that 3,000 people became believers. So the crowd was probably bigger than that. Last week, we read the whole sermon of Peter. And we highlighted four things from last week. We learned that the Holy Spirit works through Scripture. The sermon of Peter is filled with scripture from the Old Testament. We talked about how much we need the, the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. So for us Christians, both Testaments are important, the Old and the New. They're all one story of God saving his people. We also learned, number two, that the Holy Spirit breaks all human barriers. The gospel and the God of Before And now the gospel, the message of salvation, spreads out to the whole world. Then we also learned that the Holy Spirit moves us to preach the gospel. That's what we see Peter do. And the Holy Spirit changes people's lives. So let me go ahead and start with my first point that I, I want to also do uh, about this sermon. And remember, this is a large text. It's a 
pretty long uh, section. So it's impossible that in one sermon we extract everything that's to be extracted from that, from that text. So today I'm, gonna do, I'm doing part two. So the first thing that we need to understand about this part two is that if you read everything from the beginning of Acts up, up until that po this point, you will realize that God, our Father, planned everything. This is really hard to miss. And let me just quickly walk through what I see and, and what demonstrates that God is the one planning everything that happened. If you remember, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says that the Father promised the Holy Spirit coming. He says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that is a fulfillment of what Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16 talked about. This was already told. Jesus was going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it happened. The other thing that happened, as we read in Acts 1.16, is that God already planned and foretold that Judas was going to betray Jesus. And this is something that was told many, many uh, Years before, in fact, hundreds of years before. Acts 1.16 reads, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. And if you have time later, you can read Zechariah 11 and Psalm 41, and you will realize that they're talking about Judas. So the fact that Judas betrayed Jesus was not an accident. This was planned and foretold by God. And, 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 and Luke tells us in Acts 1. Then in, in Acts 1.18, we are told that not only the betrayal of, G of Judas was foretold and planned, also the death of Judas was foretold and planned. Luke tells us, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. Remember, Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of gold, of, of gold or silver. Uh, and he, this says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his, in the, in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy that happened hundreds of years before in Psalm 69. Also, we read in Acts 1.20, that God planned and foretold not only the betrayal and the death, but also the replacement of Judas. Acts 1.20 says, for it is written in the book of, of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And... Let another one take his office. And this is a quote from Psalm 108, 109, verse 8. So, everything that we see up until this point has been something that was already told before. So, we are reading something that God said hundreds of years before. He also foretold that the Holy Spirit was going to come. He didn't tell us exactly when, but he said that he was going to uh, pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. Not only Jews, all flesh. And that also happened in Acts 2, verses 1 to 4. We read that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. 
And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That is something that was prophesied hundreds of years before through the prophet Joel in the Old Testament in chapter 2, verses 28 to 32. Everything that happened up until this point has been planned by God. And this part, the next part, is really amazing. God planned this in such a way that he carefully decided that the Holy Spirit was going to fall on that strategic moment in history. Jesus is crucified during Passover. What, what do we celebrate in the Passover? We remember the story of Moses taking the people out of Egypt. And what did God tell Moses to do? He told him, kill a lamb and pour the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and that's how you're going to survive. So basically, through the blood of one lamb, God saved his people from death. And thousands of years later, we celebrate still the same thing. And the Jewish were celebrating this. And guess what happened? Another lamb, Jesus, without any blemish, was killed and his blood now saves us from death. Then... God planned for 50 days to pass and this new or other festivity or holiday to be celebrated, which is called the harvest or the celebration of the harvest, Shavuot, or Pentecost. Pentecost because it's 50 days after uh, Passover. And God begins the harvest of his new church at that exact time. Jesus comes back. Spends 40 days with them, ascends, they they wait for a week, and then on the 50th day exactly, when the celebration of the harvest, Pentecost, Shavuot, is celebrated, the Holy Spirit comes upon those people. And guess what? The biggest celebration of the Jews is is, is, uh, Passover. And back then in Jerusalem, and I was reading about this, and this is incredible, this, this still happens today, but back then it happened even more. People from the known world, from all the way to from Rome and Asia, what is now Turkey and, and, and other places around that uh, place in Europe, came to Jerusalem by foot, because that was basically the only, the only way, or by ship, to Jerusalem to spend the Passover. And some archaeologists and historians calculate that during the Passover when Jesus died, there was about half a million people in Jerusalem back then. And guess, guess what those people did? They waited the whole month for the next celebration. So they stayed there with their relatives. And they waited to celebrate the feast of the, Pas- of the, of the harvest, Pentecost. God knew this. And he planned that many people would hear this sermon that Peter preached, and it all happened by coincidence. So God planned everything. Everything that we're reading is God planning everything. Most importantly, God planned the main event of the Bible, that Jesus was going to be killed. There's people who believe that Jesus had to be killed or Jesus, God sent Jesus as a plan B. 
that he created everything and that we messed it up and now God had to be like, okay, now we're going to do, what are we going to do? And the Trinity was like, what are we going to do? And Jesus raised his hand and I said, I'll go, okay, I'll take the punishment and then that's how it happened. It, it didn't happen like that. Everything was already planned. In fact, to the point that First Peter 1 says that Jesus was already known before the foundation of the world to be this, the, the Lamb of God who was going to be slain. And this is what Peter says in Acts 2, 23. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This is repeated in Acts 3. John talks about it in Revelation 13. And Peter repeats it later to, in his first letter to, to the church in Asia. So it is impossible to overlook that God is working behind the scenes and he is developing and executing his own plan. The apostles, the witnesses, the people in Jerusalem during the Passover, the people in Jerusalem during the Shavuot, the people in Jerusalem who crucified Jesus, they're, all, they're not the center characters of this story. The center character, the main character of this story is God himself carrying out his own purpose. And remember, we can read this story and we can casually just read it. But this is scary stuff that, that, that it's happening for the, for the apostles. Peter stands up and preaches to a huge crowd. And just remember, Peter denied Jesus a few months, a few weeks before. He saw Jesus being arrested and he said, oh, I don't even know that guy. And he denied him three times. And the people shouted, crucify, crucify him. Crucify him. And these people are the ones that Peter is preaching to now with boldness. So what does it mean for us? First, I want to say that individually this means that God is working out his plan in our life. For the, for the disciples, and I, we already talked about this, this was a crazy journey. They saw three years of their lives end with the crucifixion of their master. And then he disappeared for three days. And then he came back and was with them. And they were confused. What's happening? Is he dead? Is he not dead? He's teaching us about these things. Is he going to stay? And he's saying, no, I'm going to leave. And they're like, what happened? And then he suddenly tells them, go back to Jerusalem and wait for me. And then he flies out to heaven. And they're like, what are we supposed to do? And then the, the crowds are there. They're praying together. This sound that comes out of nowhere comes. And they're like, what is happening? And then suddenly they start speaking these tongues. It's confusing. It's disorienting for them. They don't know what's happening. And guess what? God is working his plan the whole time. And I want to reassure you and me, whatever you're going through, whatever is happening in your life, whether you like it, understand it, or know what's happening or not, God is working behind the scenes for you, for your benefit. And I know this is hard to grasp sometimes. And if you have any questions about how this plan of God works and how God controls things and how we can be free, I would love to chat about that. This is something that I'm really passionate about. We can talk about it. But remember, the Bible says in Romans 8.28 that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. 
for those who are called according to his purpose. You are going through things that you probably don't understand, don't like, don't want, and it's hard. But I want to reassure you, God is working his plan in your life. And this also applies to us as a church, and we've talked about this many times. Nothing that has happened in the past two years or five or ten years in this church, in everyone's lives here at New City Fellowship, has been out of God's control. There has not been a moment where God said, oh, my goodness, look at what's happening. What am I going to do? Never. Not once. We are here because of his plan. He's working behind the scenes. And he has promised us that he's the one building his church up. Matthew 16, 18 says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Who's going to build his church? Peter? No. He will build his church. And the gates of hell, hell himself will not prevail against it. We, I, don't build God's church. We play a part in building God's church, but the one that is actively working, doing the job, is God himself. So we can have peace, we can feel joyful, knowing that God is working and caring, building his church. Our Father has planned everything back then, and he's doing it right now, individually and as one church. And the next lesson I want to highlight from this section, from this sermon of Peter, is that because God is working and God already planned everything in his sovereign will, we should plan less and take action more. I'm going to quote three people that have commented on this text, and I want you to hear what they say. The first one is an Argentinian theologian who happens to live in this area, and I know. His name is Daniel Carro. And he says the following. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit give themselves to humble service and sacrifice. They take the gospel to the lost, food for the hungry, and care for the oppressed. Pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul says, after that, that anointing by the Spirit, the disciples were changed men. They began to preach that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior, and they would not be silenced even by threats of execution. Soon they began to take the message of the gospel everywhere, just as Jesus has, had commanded them. And soon it was said of them that they had turned the world upside down. John MacArthur points out, the church went into action before it went into discussion. When the church was born, its first activity was not to plan, not to have a strategy session, not to have a committee to decide what to do. The first thing the church did was preach the gospel. The organization would come later. The explosive, explosive power of the church just blew on a wide level and ministry started happening. Primarily, primarily the driving ministry in the early chapters is preaching of the gospel, is the preaching of the gospel. And I believe that this is what God is calling us to learn from this text as a church. That he is the one who already planned. And he's the one who's building his church. And that our job as a church individually is to take action and share our faith with others. The Holy Spirit moved the people, the apostles, the 120 men and women of the church to action. And I pray and I hope 
that we all pray that God will do the same with us. The reality is that in this society, especially Christian society, when it comes to our faith and our church, Christians in, in this side of the world have a tendency to spend more time planning. We're experts at meetings. Especially when it comes to matters of faith. And we are good at discussing anything from theology to the carpet. And it makes sense because our culture proposes and highlights and promotes comfort. And being in a meeting and planning and foreseeing and itemizing and budgeting gives you some control. Or at least the idea of control. Right? And that's, that's even more true, or truer, which one is it? Truer? More true? Divided? Come on, English, get yourself together. Um, es más cierto. En español está mejor. Um, it's, it's, it's more true, or truer, for, for pastors. We spend our time meeting with people, talking to people about Jesus, spending time preparing our sermons. But the reality is that we feel like excused from actually taking the time to share our faith with others. I've seen this in my own life. I've seen this in other pastors' lives. And because I'm a pastor and because I'm doing good things, I think that I can just like, oh, well, that's somebody else's job. But no, those things that we do are necessary and it's good to plan. I'm not saying that it's wrong to plan or it is actually biblical to plan. But we must do what the early church did, preach the gospel to everyone. We cannot spend more time in planning than actually doing the work of opening our mouths and engaging others with the gospel of Jesus. God has already planned this for us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God has a plan for us. And I feel, and I share this with the elders and with the transition team, that God has been insisting, putting the finger on that item constantly in the past few weeks in my life. I'm not sure it's because I finally settled and I can finally just like breathe and look around because I now have a place to live. Or if it's really God just pushing me, but whatever it is, he is constantly reminding me that I need to share my faith, without, my faith with others. And then things that ha have happened to me. I'm, I, I also work for an organization called New City Network. And I meet with Hispanic pastors around the city. And I met with this pastor. His name is Jorge Piña. And I was inviting him to, to a training I we were going to do. And he starts telling me about what they do in, their, in his church. He was a former drug dealer. Well, first of all, he was a former scholarship. Uh, he came from Mexico to the U.S. On a, on a sports scholarship. And while he was here, he became a drug dealer. 
And his life was turned around. He invites me to go to Potbelly's because their church just moved to a new location. They're remodeling the church, and the Potbelly's is like almost across the street from where they just moved. And he comes, we come in, and he starts talking to the guy that's preparing the sandwiches. And the guy calls him pastor, and they start talking. They even gave, gave us the sandwiches for free. And then when we sit down, he's like, oh, his name is Tal, whatever. And, and he just got baptized two weeks ago. And then he tells me that he just goes and preaches to any living thing that comes across him. The name of his church has zero planning. The name of his church is Jesus Church. Like, there's really not a lot of thought behind that. It's just, Jesus, what's your name? Jesus, Jesus Church. Like, there is the most, he's the simplest guy I've ever met in my life, but the one that's doing everything we're supposed to do. I ended up not, not inviting him to, this, <laughs> to the training because I felt ashamed. I'm like, what am I going to teach this guy? Like, I, he just taught me in an hour what to do. By the way, he's coming to preach. You need to hear him. Then, during the training, I meet this other guy. And they both happen to be Mexican. This is a coincidence. He is from Chihuahua, Mexico. And he came here. He was also a drug dealer, but he was in D.C. And he told everyone. All, he was the only one that was not a pastor. No, there was another one between, between pastors or among pastors. And he told me that God saved him through arresting him. He got arrested, and that's how God saved him. He went to jail, and in jail, he became a believer. And everything he did during his time in jail was read the Bible and take the classes uh, that they offered, the discipleship classes for people in jail that are believers. And he was ta- we were talking about all this stuff that pastors talk about. And then he just, when it was his turn to talk, he said, I learned in jail that a true believer does three things. Prays, reads his Bible, and shares his faith. He said, that's what a true believer does. And I was just like, we're talking about all this stuff that, uh, it's good. We should talk about it. But the reality is like, I kept getting convicted. I was like, "Uh, okay, I'm a pastor. And then I get an invitation to hear this missionary family last week who are missionaries in Africa, and they can't even tell us where because of security reasons. Reasons They, they, they preach to Muslim countries that are hostiles, hostile to the, to the gospel. And then they were telling the stories of how people became believers in, in miraculous ways and that they put their lives on the line for preaching the gospel and how they live and how their kids live. And, 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 and I'm like, oh, my gosh, like this is crazy crazy what is happening and then on top of that I'm reading the book of Acts and this is happening as I read the book of Acts I just kept feeling so much conviction and I asked myself what are you doing true and I shared this with the elders and the transition team and especially with the elders we had a really good meeting and we stopped the meeting we talked about this and we just prayed and repented because we struggle with this. It's so hard. It's hard to get rejected. And Lars even said, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to practice rejection as a good military. <laughs> and I'm like, that's cool, but what if we just 
actually believe that God can do something. And now Andrew, me, and Lars, and uh, the transition team, we're, we're trying to keep each other accountable and sharing stories of what's happening. And this is so life-giving. And I want to share this with all of us. Not, I don't want to shame anybody. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, guilt you into doing something. No, but I want to encourage us and remind us that sharing our faith is a command. We are called to go and make disciples, to be witnesses. And we often forget about it or sometimes plain ignore it. That's what Peter and the 12 apostles did. If we read in Acts 2.14, he says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted off his voice and addressed them. And he said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ears to my word. I can, I can almost assure you that Peter is not thinking this is going to go well. 3,000 people are about to be changed. No. They just killed Jesus a few weeks ago, and now he's standing, and he's like, hey, everybody listen to me. Let me tell you what happened. And he's probably shaking because it's not even him. It's the Holy Spirit talking through him. And he's like, are they going to do the same thing to me? Eventually they did it. Uh, anyway, the church took action. And I understand that sharing your faith or our faith looks different on each one of us. If you're a stay-at-home mom and you have babies, that might look different. Some of us work from home all day. Some have several kids and, and life and work and all those things are complicated. Some of us are going through difficulties with our health, with our work, with our relationships. Uh, some of us are single parents. No, I'm not. Uh, uh, and some of us have difficulties physically to even go out and preach the gospel. But whatever your situation is, you can still, we can still find a way to talk to people about Jesus. Please remember, this is how we are here. This is what the church has done for 2,000 years. This is how the church has grown and expanded from one little city in Jerusalem to the entire world by people talking to each other. We are here because someone told someone about Jesus. And that someone was told by somebody else, somebody else about Jesus. And that other someone, I'm getting confused with the someones, but it's a, it's a little chain. The fact that we're here is because somebody told somebody that told somebody that told somebody that told somebody. This is what Christianity is all about, sharing our faith. Our faith is not private. Uh, we, we are supposed to proselytize. I know this is, this is not something that our society looks at as a good thing. But we are to intentionally and explicitly proselytize. This is what C.S. Lewis said. The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ. To make them little Christs. If they are not doing that. All the, the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Well-known British missionary to China, Hudson Taylor, said, The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed.
And look at what happened because Peter got up. Acts 2, 37 to 40. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. The, the, probably the most surprise of all was Peter himself. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter was like, oh, they're not going to kill us. And Peter says, says to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this will happen again. You will receive the gift of, the, like, whatever is happening with us right now should happen to you later if you receive Christ. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Who is doing it? God is calling people to himself. We are not in charge of convincing anybody. It is not about you. It is not about your abilities to preach the gospel or how handsome you are or how well-spoken you are or educated you are. No, God is the one that's calling people to himself through a reckless fisherman. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then the best happens at the end. Verses 40 to 41 of Acts 2. The planning will come later. Look at what happened. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day. That day. This is important. That day. Not through many days. That day. About three thousand souls. What happened to those three thousand people? They were baptized and they became Christians that day. Why am I insisting on the that day? Because this is where they had to start planning. There's 120 of them and there's debate, of course, it's Christianity. There's debates of everything. So people said, no, the only ones who baptized were just the disciples, the 12. Some other people say, no, everyone, the 120 were baptized. Number one, that's the first problem. If only the 12 are baptizing and 3,000 people baptize in one day in Jerusalem, this is a problem. Now we need to start thinking. How many bodies of water do we have? How many people can you take and how many people can you take? If this takes two people or two minutes per person and it's only the disciples, every disciple needs to have at least 415 or 16 people. If every baptism takes two minutes, that takes about seven hours of nonstop baptizing straight. No, there's, there's real math about this thing. It's crazy. The problem is that it, they're in Jerusalem. They're not close to the Jordan River. It's not like there's a lake close by. There's all these problems. That now requires planning. We've been talking about whether we do a bilingual service and blah, blah, blah. We're like, we don't even have, like, where are they? Can we just get the people first? And then we plan. 
And of course, there's all these problems because if they were baptized, mean dunked, that was an issue. If you were, if they were Presbyterian, it would be super easy. You could do it in 10 minutes with a host, whatever. But this is the planning that required that the, the preaching of the gospel brought about. And what is this message? I keep talking about the gospel, but this message is what Peter said. Is that Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? Because he was taking our place. Because we crucified him. Because we are all sinners. Being a sinner means that you do whatever you want. And you don't care about what Jesus or God says. And that you do your life your way. And you want everything that you want because you want it. And you just ignore whatever God wants. That's sin. Sin is becoming your own God. Is replacing God from the throne or the king that he is in your life. And saying, no, I am now the king. That is sin. That, God respects that. God can tell you, do whatever you want. It's okay. But every time we sin, we take a step away from God. And if we live a life of sin, all we're doing is taking small steps away from God. And if we love what we do, and if we love our own ways, and if we do whatever we think it's best, what we're saying is goodbye to God. And it's okay. God respects that. But we will not be surprised when at the end of everything, we find ourselves in a place where there's nothing good because God is good. There's no friendship because God is friendship. There's no joy because God is joy. There's nothing. And that place where there's nothing other than suffering, evil, bad things is called hell. And that's where we're going if we want to do whatever we want. And again, God will respect that. And the fact is, is that all, we're all going that way. Without Jesus, humans love their own way. I love my own way. And the reality is that we don't want to listen to God. And we can't save yourself. You can't save ourselves on our own merits, on our own strength. There is no human being that can't behave enough to go to heaven. No human, no human being deserves heaven ever because we're not good enough for heaven. Because God's standard is perfection. And none of us can, at, can at, uh, attend, um, attain that. And that's why God looks at us and he sees humanity going to hell, really. And he sends his son. And he says, they're not going to be able to make it. He comes. He does it for us. He lives the life that we were supposed to live through Jesus. He cares about others. He feeds people. He heals people. He loves people. And then he dies. He gives himself entirely for us. He takes our sin. He's punished in our place. And all of our sins are placed on Jesus Christ. And God declares all of us who accept Jesus innocent because Jesus paid for our sins on that cross. He dies. And then he defeats death through resurrection. That is the message of the gospel, that Jesus came to die for us. That is the difference between our faith and many other faiths, is that the Christian faith does not tell you you have to behave or be good to go to heaven. No, that's not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is you cannot behave and you cannot go to heaven on your own. You need Jesus to go because he already did it for you. 
the only thing he, he asks is that we repent. Repenting means saying, I'm sorry for living my life on my own terms. I want to do what you want. And having faith and believing in that provides us with free eternal life by grace. You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to behave. You don't have to leave your addictions. You can come to Christ the way you are. That's what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And this invitation is for everybody. People who think they're believers and people who, who think or know they're not believers. And our, my invitation to all of us is to repent from our selfish ways of living. Even as Christians, we continue sometimes in, that, in those paths and we continue to do things selfishly. And that's why sometimes we don't preach the gospel to others. But through Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. If you're not a believer, I want to invite you to come and repent and come to Jesus and come to new life and turn your life around. Not by what you do, but what God has done for you. And I want to finalize with a few practical things that we can do. Uh, I'm planning uh, uh, a training on evangelism, and we're going to have a folder online with resources for you to access. But let me just give you some preview uh, advice on this. Number one, as you go out this week, pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you opportunities. Pray that God will open up opportunities for you to speak, to preach the gospel. But be intentional in engaging people in conversation. Bring up your faith. Talk about church. And if they attend another church, respect that. But if they are not into a church, invite them. We have cards outside that you can take, that you can pass out to people. Don't be pushy. Be respectful if they don't agree. Be okay with rejection. It's okay to be rejected and, and it's okay for awkward moments. And pray for them. The most loving thing we can do for people, if we truly care about people, is to share Jesus with them. And believe that God can do miracles. Believe that God can do what we cannot do. Remember, our faith is not a natural faith. It's a supernatural faith. It's about what Jesus does in people, not what we do in people. Let the Holy Spirit transform us and let the Holy Spirit guide us. Uh, please stand up with me. And we have an opportunity every week to remember what Jesus has done for us. We uh, take communion, the Eucharist, uh, the Lord's Supper, whatever you call it. Every week we do it together as a family. As a response to, to God's word, to remember that we are here together as a family because of what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. So I want to invite you, if you're a follower of Christ, to join us. Uh, the band is going to continue to play. And you can come through the, through the middle and then access the, the sides um, and participate with us if you are a believer. If you are not a follower of Jesus, this meal is an invitation for you so that you can repent and turn to Jesus and be welcomed into the family of God here today. If you decide not to do this, we ask that you do not participate because this is a public proclamation of your faith in Christ.
If anybody needs prayer at the end, I would love to talk to you and pray for you. With this, we remember that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can come forward now.